Podcast Ain't Plague Nobody is a a mission, a journalistic numeric mission uh, undertook, undertaken by one um, Bill Connolly, robot wonder of math, and myself, Stephen Godfrey, C-minus journalist, somewhat affable, able to slide through life. And yet here we are at the crossroads of logic and sports talk. And that would be the NFL draft. Now, this is also a college football podcast. So, yes, it is draft week. Um, yes, it is an all-encompassing, enveloping affair. It's It sucks away attention from, like, sports that are actually in playoffs right now. Um, it has no real, like, substance to it. You know, it's it's a lottery, or it's not a lottery. It's it's a draft. It's it's, it's just, kind of a lottery. It's just a labor draft. Oh, it's 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 definitely a lottery, but not not an actual like NBA lottery. Um, so we're gonna talk about it. So no, Godfrey, for the whole first, show. I think we need to we need to start by talking about the momentous thing that happened within the last week. We got our first hater, like our first open podcast hater. Oh, oh yeah, okay. We didn't actually talk about that before we went on. Are we gonna? No, I just thought of it, and, and it was momentous. So you know, that that's a sign that we're getting somewhere with this. Yeah, no. Um, here's the rule of thumb. Uh, first off, thank. I mean, just thank you to anybody who listens. Thank you to anybody who proselytizes on behalf of what we do. But also, thank you to people who. Um, I don't really care if you dislike us, but thank you to people who would take something as odd as as a dislike, and or or not. The, Disliking us is not odd, but taking that and then spending three times uh, on your own podcast, three times the amount of time on a subject that we did in response to us. So we <laughs> we touched on the Georgia situation with FOIA and Kirby Smart, the Georgia State Legislature, some things that are going on. Um, I offhandedly and should have known better uh, made a comment, which I totally stand by. wouldn't wouldn't walk back for a second, nor do I feel like it compromises whatever little morals or values I have that I hope Mark Rick wins five national titles in Miami. Um, Georgia fans, Bill, are are if I had to make a ranking that had no math in it, which is that's kind of my bread and butter, not having to do any work and just uh, kind of crapping something out. Um, I would say Georgia fans top the list of of uh, collectives fan bases that are simultaneously the most excited and sensitive and just alive. They are frenetic right now. There's a lot to be excited about. I guess, uh, and I, I, I can't remember the podcast. Honestly, I'm not, this isn't backhanded. I listened to a part of it. Someone sent me a link on SoundCloud. I got a laugh at it, moved on with my day. I think it was mowing a yard or something. Um, but I, the Georgia had their spring game, and I guess the spring game was sort of like a, a big deal. Sure. Do you know anything about the spring game? I checked the box score. I saw a couple of YouTube clips. Um, basically, they, they have a true freshman quarterback that went in during a spring game in non-contact. Uh, and some of his receivers I saw were non-contact as well. So that gives you kind of an idea of the quality of the play here. And he hit um, a couple flares, a couple posts, and then a couple deep balls. And now he is, he is uh, Jesus Christ, in a pro set. So... Um, there's a weird – I knew Georgia fans would be excited. They want to talk and not talk about Alabama, and they're real weird about that comparison. But <laughs> um, I, like, I don't want to rehash anything, but I guess one thing I underestimated was the Ricked deal, and now there's there's a lot of kind of old, southern, weird, coded you know, language that they use for how Mark Rick left and why Mark Rick left. And they parted, parted ways is, is a big phrase around Athens. You didn't part ways. You fired that guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, you fired 
the one of the winningest coaches in Georgia history. You fired a guy who had Terrence Edwards not dropped a, a, a touchdown pass against Florida in 2002. You would have played four and won a national title, and and he would still be there like the Bob Stoops of the SEC. Um, Georgia fans don't want to talk about that right now, and that's cool. But <laughs> no, uh, no, it's, this is totally natural, and it's and it's the, the rationalization is totally natural too. Um, you don't want to. It, it, this was a mercenary move. Mark Richt went in whatever nine games a year wasn't enough, or nine or ten games a year wasn't enough. We want a guy who wins 11 and 12 and beats Bama. Fine, uh, but in the meantime, you're going to rationalize the hell out of that and say, well, it wasn't just that. No, it was just that. It, yeah. it, was, it was literally just that. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, <laughs> so be it. You, you were, we are going to rationalize things. That's what we are fans. That's what we do. And if, if Kirby smart does win 11 games a year, then everything was worth it. But so um, I, I mean, I very objectively went through that segment. I thought, I know we made the joke about Rick to the title. Yeah. So. That was the only part that really wasn't right. That, that had any sort of edge to sure. it. Sure. And, and that's the kind of flair that I'm going to add in this operation, but it's just funny. I hate to reinforce the SEC thing, but I, I, I do that segment. I thought it was pretty middle of the road compared to what everyone else has talked about Georgia. We get put on blast by the, uh, a local Georgia podcast. And then I, from a completely biased, partisan, infantile place, <laughs> put Louisville on blast last week. And the two Louisville fans I've talked to since last week have both been like, yeah, I mean, we understand why people don't like <laughs> and that was the that was the extent of their acrimony. One because I have no association with the University of Kentucky, and two because it's not basketball. And so that's that's where the you know it, is some of it hyperbolic about the SEC. Yeah, but there's a lot of truth to it. That yeah, the only part about the Georgia thing that I noticed was I lost like ten Georgia followers that day. Oh, did you? Uh, uh, well, okay, I lost ten followers. They might not have been. It could have been completely coincidental, but I'm pretty sure it was all. Is Georgia people because that was about as pointed as I ever get on Twitter. Um, and it has nothing to do with the team. Like the, the parts I had, all, all my problem with were the the you know <laughs> the fact that the legislature is getting involved with trying to help one one of the many football teams in the state win games, and that's uh, mind blowing. But I just I'm just proud of myself because one minute in, I managed to completely derail uh, what we were going to talk mm-hmm. about today. Let me just if you put excited and butthurt on an XY axis, you're usually going to chart teams in very drastic corners of that graph, right? So uh, A&M and Auburn are pretty butthurt right now um, and and concerned. Butthurt would be an umbrella term here and and a very eloquent one for anxiety and sort of a divided fan base. And it's all usually stems from a head coaching situation, sometimes personnel, sometimes both. Um, so that those are butthurt programs right now. Excited. By the way, congratulations. I, I hate that phrase, but I enjoy it when you say it. Thank so you. you're, you're at a completely different level with me, apparently. Um, you know, uh, Bama fans are excited. Pittsburgh fans are very excited. Um, uh, Michigan fans are very excited, right? But I wouldn't say... Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, you can go around the nation. Uh, th- there are programs that are excited about 2016 because their teams are projected to do well. Washington fans are very excited. But they aren't butthurt. And then you have Georgia. And their fans are extremely excited about what's to come and the changes because they are in the honeymoon period, right? Every problem that ever plagued the Mark Rick era is gone and fixed and taken care of. No new problems yet exist. It is the wonderful... You know, it's the period in which you want to have sex with your football program all the time, and there are no real <laughs> issues. 
You know, none of you, you, you haven't gotten unattractive to each other. No one has peed on any toilet lid or anything like that. Um, and that's okay. It's just weird that they're also butthurt about the Rick thing. And I think it's because he's at Miami. Had he gone the television studio analyst route and then maybe gone to like a North Carolina type job in a year or two, I think uh, Georgia fans would have wished him well. I think the fact that he went back to his alma mater, um, I think that Georgia fans secretly know, because Georgia fans are smart football fans, they don't want to admit it, but they secretly know that that's a really good fit. He could do some really good stuff. Yeah, I think the fear is what what made this interesting because, yeah, I I would assume, like we all assumed that maybe Rick takes an OC job or gets on TV for a year. Um, And and in that case, you can, it can never really be proven wrong that you made the, it can never be proven that you made the wrong move, you know, because then, you know, circumstances change so much and you could say, well, and Rick was on his way downhill and da 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 and everything would have been, you, you can feel right about that. Now, Technically, one of the options on the table is that Kirby Smith, go, uh, Kirby Smart goes eight and five for a couple of years, while Mark Rick suddenly goes twelve and one. Right. Um, I'm not saying it's realistic or, or incredibly realistic, but it's on the table, and I think that little edge of fear. This is where you start to rationalize, like, well, it wasn't just about results; it was this too, because you don't want to feel like you just screwed up massively. Georgia probably didn't. Smart makes perfect sense on paper. Um, and and it'll probably work out okay. That doesn't mean I have to you know like the the legislative side of things or anything else. But no, the, anything else is just rationalization. I think. Let's talk about something that's um, equally measured, and that's the NFL draft. <laughs> I have uh, spent the last month uh, chasing the ghost of Robert Kindici, um, uh, basically seeing taillights the entire time. I've been in Los Angeles. I've been in Oxford. Um, I've been a couple other places. It uh, has sucked. Um, I've got a feature coming out. Uh, if you're listening to this on Wednesday as it goes up, the feature will probably be out by then. And if not, I think we may hold it for tomorrow slash Thursday morning as the draft kicks off in earnest. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, it's happening. It happened. Um, if you're an aspiring journalist out there and not an aspiring, um, you know, Bill, how do you describe your job? You're not a statistician. You don't like that word. No. Okay. Uh, writer. But, but, yeah, but, but that short sells it. You're like, I'm a writer. You can do things with math, okay? Anyway, um, or if you're an aspiring Bill, um, this won't uh, – or if you're, really, if, if you, if you want to ever commit anything to print or words or, or, or collect a thought and present it about sports, don't ever set out to do a profile that's about 4,000 words – and not have the, the profile or have the profile back out of the feature and then keep doing it. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a fantastic experience. I couldn't be happier to close the door on it. Uh, I'm not really going to get into the nuts and bolts of it because I'm probably going to have a slate of radio to promote it, and I'm just going to save myself for the, the, the sound bites. And if people have questions, they can absolutely hit me up on Twitter. And we, if there's a ton of questions and there's a ton of uh, ton of interest in the piece, and it lasts through next week when we record the next podcast. Uh, I'll be more than happy to jump into it then. I'm just doing my due diligence as a promoter right now to tell you to go and click on the story, read it, get mad at it, comment on it, or just open the browser window and then maybe make like a T or like the or go make like a K cup. I think the time and take it would take to make a K cup of coffee. Just have the browser window open. I can justify my existence as an employee. 
you get coffee and then you can go back to like whatever you were reading. I was gonna yes, make us. I was gonna make a, a nasty comment about an, like some website. I couldn't even think of one. That's how good a person I am. You're, you're such a you're such an old Miss Homer, Godfrey. Bill, I swear to God. Can't wait for that Chad Kelly piece next year, though, when he's I number one pick so in the draft. Um, you have been working on something much more, uh, <laughs> more wide-reaching and intelligent, um, and, and unclickable. Apparently, <laughs> going by. Well, let me. All right, let me back up. So, like the whole crux, I made the joke at the top of the show, but that, like this is what you do: is you debunk or reinforce or or calm people, but you use like evidence and facts, and and you take numbers, and and not only that, you push. You push the way we record information in football to better represent the the actual out like you know the reality of a situation. Okay, so like that when I describe Bill's advanced stats to casual fans who, who say they don't care, I always say, well, look, that these you know these numbers are deceptive because they've been around for so long. You know, like our total offense, whatever. You that that's your mission statement, and then you have the NFL draft on the other side of this, which is just all. Bullshit. So how like how how did we set about putting you on the NFL draft, and then how do you set out like making sense of any of this? Well, we set out uh, because Jason asked me to do stuff, and I say yes when Jason asks me to do stuff because he lets me go off and write you know three thousand words about HBCUs and, and numbers and whatnot. So I try to do whatever he asked me to do. Um, and, and the idea was simply, you know, I, I played with this briefly in the fall, and, and it was the idea of radar charts. Some people don't like them. I love them uh, for, for the purposes that I used them anyway. Um, the radar chart is the little spider chart, the little thing that, you know, it's, it's in a uh, kind of a circle-ish type shape, and, and you've got a bunch of categories, and it kind of places them in, in a way that kind of looks like a spider web. Um, so it's a, it's a radar chart because it looks like the like flight radar. I guess the so, circles yeah. inside of each other like a yeah. trunk. Okay. Yeah, basically. And and so what I used them for in this case was just out of curiosity. It was basically like, what can we add to the convers- to the generally stupid draft conversation that involves stats and, and actual actual things that are measurable at the moment since this is kind of – my my thought is we should just have the NFL draft the week after the Super Bowl um, because the amount of overthinking that takes place in the meantime, and I realize this won't happen because it's placed for TV ratings and they get to spend a week showing people running 40s on NFL Network and all these things that are part of this process. Um, everything is very much made for TV and fine, whatever. Uh, it is not made for good drafting. Um, and, and the overthinking is, is, is immense the last week of the draft. So using the stats I had, I, I wish I had more. I wish I had good charting data. I wish I had pro football focused data. I wish it wasn't uh, absurdly expensive. Um, but I was able to at least look into receivers, running backs, and probably later today uh, a piece on quarterbacks will go up. Um, and the idea is to combine some of the stats that I can use, uh, to, to look at success or quality or whatever, combine those with some of the general combine data and see what we get out of it. So how's it going? Um, Do you feel like it's you, I mean, uh, the quarterback piece? Time at it, so. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the first, the running backs, neither piece, I, I was kind of excited. I posted a couple, uh, I posted a couple of charts on Twitter. got a really good response. I thought, man, these pieces are going to do well. I don't get the feeling they did do as well as I anticipated and and we'll pimp the hell out of them during the draft. Every time one of these guys gets picked, that's fine. I mean, it, it'll, you know, it'll, <laughs> I guess it'll justify my existence to some degree. Uh, I think the quarterback piece will generate some conversation. Um, sure. 
but then, but so the first up was running backs and, and, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll share links in here so you can check them out. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of cool. Basically what radar charts can do is combine like kind of a style aspect and a quality aspect. It's not going to specifically tell you who's the best. It's not going to rank guys. Um, it's not meant for that, but you can cut, but you know, you can look at Ezekiel Elliott versus Derrick Henry and, and immediately kind of figure out very specifically where they're different. Um, and if you're, if you're, you know, somebody making a pick charts like this can, can kind of verify because you're looking for a type, not just, not always looking for specific quality. You're looking for types of players too. And this will help in that regard. So, you know, the two, you know, pulling up the running backs piece here, Ezekiel Elliott is incredibly well-rounded kind of the upper, you know, 70th, 80th, 90th percentile in almost every category. He didn't do some of the combine uh, drills that I was looking at. So those just got not applicables, but he's in the upper half in terms of height and weight, uh, workload, yards per carry, opportunity rate, which is the frequency with which you get five yard gains, at least highlight yardage, uh, the explosiveness, 40 yard dash was good. He uh, was targeted by a lot of passes. He was at least reasonably productive with the passes he uh, received. Those are all, he's incredibly well-rounded and you can look at that and, and again it's not meant to, to rank people but you can look at that and if you're thinking of that as you know this is supposed to be the number one dr- running back in the draft you can look at the chart and say okay yeah that makes sense um Derek Henry's is kind of veers towards the physical side he's he's absurdly big we knew that uh, he's strong. He can carry a, a, a ridiculous workload, although, you know, you can make the case that maybe he carried too much of a workload last year. Um, very efficient. Uh, his three-cone drill, his short shuttle run, some of the more agility-based things, not not good at all. Hang on. <laughs> let me jump in there. Which stats or which combine stats specifically did you pick? Okay. Um, four, four running backs and then also why? Because people, for, you know, I, did, I just got done writing – Finished writing about this when I did a piece on Laramie Tunsil because all I ever covers my alma mater. Yep. Um, junk stats, uh, 40 times don't matter. You know, uh, Laquan Treadwell, again, I can't escape Ole Miss. You know, uh, he doesn't have an amazing 40 times, so he's not going to be a good wide receiver. So you look at running backs and you look at the combine stats and you decided – this uh, is worth including. What were those? Well, things? in talking to Ryan Van Bibber, that was part of it. Um, for you know, so I, I after talking to him, we added uh, bench reps, um, okay. three cone drill and short shuttle run for more of that agility and explosiveness aspect, and then forty yard just for pure speed. Let me let me um, jump in right there and say this: first year that I've been working on draft stuff, I've met a lot of agents and scouts since January. The the shuttle and the three cone. Mm-hmm are apparently the secret 40 to them, Asians yeah. and scouts. We yeah. focus on the 40 because some guy run real fast in straight line and look yeah. cool on TV, but yep. the, the cones and the shuttles, not going to translate directly, and I know I'm not still your thunder here, but it's apparently a better way when captured on video to look at a guy's bend, to look at, his, to mm. look at how he's going I'm to sure. handle inside and outside tackle situations and how he's going to adjust with speed. So, so compared to the other running backs in this draft class, Derrick Henry bombed the short shuttle and three cone. Really? Yeah. He is. Okay. He is an, I mean, he's an elephant. He's enormous and uh, productive. And um, from a physical standpoint, he's, he, he's a total complete hoss. He was in the like single digit almost percentile for a short shuttle and three cone. 
Uh, his explosiveness was decent, especially for his size. 40-yard dash, not at all. He was a, a complete non-factor in the passing game last year. Now, the year before, he caught like uh, 8, 9, 10 passes, I think. Or six. he had six catches for 194 yards his first two years. So, at, at the very least, that shows that if he catches the ball, he can get upfield. He just wasn't asked to do it. And, again, that is part of this whole thing is what you know. a lot of this depends on what they were asked to do. Um, and so you look at this and it doesn't say Derrick Henry cannot catch passes. It just says he had no opportunity to do that last year. That was not part of his game last year. So he is all physical. He is a beast, uh, but he is apparently not very agile. <laughs> oh, nog. All right. There we go. One second. Um, while Godfrey takes care of that, I will keep talking. Um, Alex Collins was the third guy on the, on the running backs list, uh, and he was kind of an interesting mix. He was semi-explosive for his size. Uh, he's a pretty big dude, not tall at all, uh, did not bench very well, but carried a pretty big workload, had a nice level of efficiency. Um, uh, he's kind of like a mini Derrick Henry to some degree. And, um, I, you know, I... I w- w- it's tricky with radars because you don't want to conclude too much from them. A lot of this depends on... A lot of the chart you see, you know, we think of, you know, a guy who on a chart like this covers a lot of space, covers a lot of like uh, just area on this chart. You think of that as a guy who's better than a guy who doesn't carry, uh, you know, take up a lot of space on the chart. And maybe to some degree that's true. Um, but it is still, this can't be the ultimate conclusion. What it tells me about Alex Collins, though, is is I, I'm not real convinced about Alex Collins. I wasn't before because he fumbled like crazy at Arkansas, especially uh, in 2014. But, um, you know, he, he again, he also was not asked at all to take part in the passing game. Um, and, and really, he seems like a guy who could probably pretty consistently get two, three, four yards um, but it, it, you know, if that, and if that's enough, great, but it, it really isn't enough for me. And I'm, you know, from my little standpoint here. Interesting. Um, so do you feel, um, is it too early to tell what you're going to do different next time, assuming we do this next year, or is there data that you, you think you had from your normal college football charting that you want to go in next time? Well, I think, you know, well, and part of this depends on what we end up doing for charting next year. We are, um, Hopefully going to be, well, we'll see. Uh, if we end up getting the ser- the charting service that I hope we get, uh, I will be able to add some categories. But, you know, one of the things I want to do, even without any charting data, is, you know, I was, I was trying to figure out how to include some some of these radar ideas into the, the stat profiles, the team stat profiles that get updated during the season, if I can figure out a way to do that kind of more automated um, because I do, I like the visual, uh, you know, if you, if you're not taking it as an ultimate conclusion, I, I really like the visual it provides. Um, and it can, from a draft perspective, it can at least raise questions. It, it, you know, even if I'm here saying, you know, don't make major conclusions off of it. If a guy like is kind of in the upper echelon in every single category, maybe you look at him a little closer or if a guy isn't, if he's the exact opposite, maybe, um, you know, the, and you like him, maybe that causes you to take a second look. CJ Procise at Notre Dame, um, he kind of on this chart looks like a former receiver in that he's very tall. Um, not he, he's a little bit on the lanky side, uh, but he was an efficient runner, which is not necessarily guaranteed for when you know when you're talking about a guy new to the position. He was explosive. His forty was decent, and he was a big factor in the passing game, as you would expect from a converted receiver. So he's a guy that you know. I would definitely take a second look at if I'm you know in in some you know quote unquote war room. Uh, you know, maybe he doesn't have the instincts to, to succeed overall, 
but he checks a lot of boxes in this regard, and he'd be interesting to me. Calvin Taylor checks no boxes, by the way, um, other than that he can be handed the ball a lot. Uh, uh, but that's probably not enough. This is kind of a douchey NFL question. I'm going to do it anyway. Is he a winner? No. <laughs> well, it's in that vein. Is there is there someone in the process? Again, first time you've done this, and I know how you work. You're, you're, you're thinking about how you're going to improve it. But just based on the way you did it this year, is there some guy that you've fallen in love with? Oh, DeAndre Washington, um, the really speedy Texas Tech guy. Tiny. Um, but that's the only that, that was the only area where he did not grade out really, really well. He benched like crazy. His agility tests were off the charts. His uh, efficiency was strong. Uh, his explosiveness was strong. His 40 was decent. His, he was targeted by a lot of passes. Again, that could be partially the system he was in. Um, but he improved dramatically like each of the last couple of years from uh, after he suffered a knee injury a while back. The size is going to scare people off. Um, but he, I mean, he, he checked a lot of boxes. He and ProSize were the two that I really looked at their charts and went, huh, um, and, and in a good way. All right, let's to, to flip to receivers real fast. I won't spend yeah. as much time on this one. Um, this was another aspect of type. Uh, like Josh Doxson and Michael Thomas, uh, you know, I've said check boxes a lot now. They checked a lot of boxes uh, in terms of just being well-rounded and, uh, you know, fast with good catch rates and this and that. Um, they, uh, you know, if you're talking about being well-rounded, those are the two at the top of the list. Um, meanwhile, Le- Leonte Carew was another one who was pretty well-rounded in that regard. And he had the detriment of, he was trying to produce stats on Rutgers and he did pretty well. Um, but then, you know, Laquan Treadwell, you look at his, his chart and he is kind of the prototype, um, possession guy. And, you know, you say that, you think of well-rounded being more important than being a possession receiver. But a really good possession receiver um, is a, a tremendous asset. And if you've got some little speedy guy on the other side, maybe having that kind of complement to that uh, other player makes Treadwell more valuable than anybody else. I can give you a quote here. Okay, uh, let's go. Hugh Freeze, uh, I think he ran exactly what we expected him to. It, you know, I've said it all along. This, this is a guy that you're looking – if you're looking for a guy who wants to run uh, a straight line really fast, this, is, this isn't the player for you. But if you want a guy who goes up and wins 50-50 balls, who can take contested plays and make something out of them, uh, he is your playmaker. So the, everybody involved, having gone to like, – this year was the first pro day I went to in a while. You get the college coaches who suddenly turn into just shameless publicists, more so <laughs> than usual. Yeah. But they, everybody involved with Treadwell's camp has said, hey, we know he's not a burner. you know. But that's why I think that's why all these people um, I see online are talking about the Giants, is putting him opposite of someone like Beckham. Um, right. And then letting him let – this guy's suppo- I mean, supposed to be, I guess, the quintessential third-down receiver. So. Yeah, so Treadwell. Had something to add. Continue. Treadwell was kind of he was like thirtieth percentile in bench and vertical. So for the combine, the receiver stats, I did vertical, bench, um, and then three cone and short shuttle again, and forty. I had a, I had a ton of stuff on this chart, um, and you know Treadwell didn't do the short shuttle or the three cone or the forty at the at the combine, which means he got a lot of NAs on my little chart here, uh, but he wasn't very explosive, duh, um, and. The, the bench in the vertical, though, kind of scared me a little bit. 
Because, you know, if you're not fast, then you're supposed to be the guy who can jump up in traffic or, you know, be the real strong guy who fends people off. Um, his stats, you know, the fact that he was a big guy, you know, great, an excellent guy on passing downs, especially that that's important. His success rate, catch rate were very good. So maybe he maybe he is that guy. Um, but in his chance to show how strong or how you know, big he can make himself at the combine, he didn't do a very good job. So he's kind of got something to prove to me in that regard. Um, meanwhile, Devin Kajust, the the tight end slashed, uh, I, I don't even, I think that's how you say his name. I don't even remember. Season ended like five months ago and I've forgotten everything. Um, he also not fast at all, probably quite a bit slower than maybe a step or two slower than Treadwell even. Um, very, very efficient, uh, kind of aced the three cone drill, especially, which is impressive for a guy who is whatever, like six, four, two twenty five. He, so he's bigger than Treadwell. He's got a better catch rate and efficiency level than Treadwell. He did pretty well in the vertical better than Treadwell. Um, he's kind of like, if you, if you want a possession guy, but you're a little scared off, you can probably get this guy in the later rounds. Uh, he'd be really interesting maybe, or maybe he's just too damn slow and he won't work out at all. Um, like I said, I'm not here to give any specific answers. Um, and then the last one I'll mention, Will Fuller. Uh, I, I like it when, uh, you know, my assessment of somebody matches up with Stephen White's, um, you know, Stephen White, the day before this piece went up, had a piece that basically said, yeah, he's fast. And that's about it. Um, the, the radar chart said that he's fast and that's about it. Stephen White, for those of you who don't know, ex NFL defensive lineman for the Buccaneers. Is that right? And he's uh, our yeah. Tennessee ball. He does yeah. our, um, he's, He's awesome. I don't think we did. I don't think we did this on purpose. We just kind of found Stephen on Twitter, and he found us. But we we always had the mantra of let's not have someone who's not qualified make football-y type judgments on football players. And so we found a football player to make judgments on football players. So um, he's become indispensable for some of the stuff we do that involves judgment calls and player critiques. Um, I guess I was going to ask you for any personal interest in the draft in terms of players, in terms of storylines. Like I said, I've been neck deep in Robert Kandichi, and at this point I am fascinated. And because I worked on this story, um, and maybe if an ounce of that translates to the reader, um, I'll feel better about this thing. But it's made me more interested in the first round of the draft because you have a dynamic, high upside talent at a, at a crazy position like defensive tackle and all that. I mean, this is a defensive tackle who caught touchdown passes in the SEC. Um, and, and people don't know if he's going to go 10th or if he's going to go 50th. Um, so that's definitely the, the thing I'm looking for the most. Obviously, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. Not a huge draft for Atlanta, but they are in that mid-range of the first round. I think they're going to trade down this year. Um, I don't know if there's a college player other than the one I've been chasing that I'm necessarily transfixed by the, by their by their destination um i think christian hackenberg Ugh. i don't have that repulsed reaction that most people do because i'm not a penn state fan um but also i just i i take great interest when the league starts to or, or the the league including like media and and and, and nfl only fans i'm talking about the whole world of it when they take interest in quarterbacks that college has already sort of passed judgment on, like it was Ryan Tannehill a couple of years ago, I think it's fascinating that Hackenberg has drawn this much attention relative to what he's put on tape at Penn State. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. I've talked to coaches that have worked with him and people around him, and uh, 
it's just going to be really interesting to see where he falls in line, where that value judgment comes, and then is this a franchise that treats him like a project? Is he, you know, immediately plugged in as a backup? Is he going to have to play with third string? Um, I think that's that's it. Do you, are there any individual players you're, you're really excited by? We don't have like a Michael Sam type situation or <laughs> any, anything that's you know incredibly dynamic in terms of off field. Well, I think um, I mean the biggest thing about this draft for me, and and you're right that the first round is particularly interesting, basically because of the first two spots. I it, it is amazing to me when I talk about um, overthinking. <laughs> Uh, the quarterback situation is what people overthink more than anything else in the world. And I, and I get it. Like you're going to, if you're a general manager, so much of your tenure at a given place is going to be dictated, is going to be defined by whether your quarterback stunk or not. So I understand that, you know, it's, I understand that it's hard to win without a good quarterback, da, 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 even, even though the, you know, the Broncos just won the Super Bowl with, you know, the, the carcass of Peyton Manning, um, I I get that, but two teams now, like we, one of the things like we universally make fun of with the draft is um, the Herschel Walker trade and the Ricky Williams trade uh, where, you know, teams traded a boatload of picks, flawed teams that needed picks uh, traded a boatload of picks for one guy. And, um, and then we laugh at them because that one guy, even if he was good, Herschel Walker was a good running back. Uh, they, that trade won Dallas, the Super Bowl more or less. And that trade, I don't even remember who it, it was the saints trading a bunch of picks to what Washington, Washington got at least a couple of really, really good players out of the deal. Uh, and then it turned out that Ricky Williams wasn't the second coming. He was solid, but he wasn't the most amazing running back in the history of the world. Um, and, and therefore it hurt the Saints for like a decade, which I'm sure really disappointed you a lot. Um, it hurt. Yeah, so we have this. We have this pretty clear evidence that, um, you know, you better be absolutely sure about somebody. Uh, if you're going to kind of, you know, if you're going to waste a, a, a lot of depth uh, and a lot of picks uh, over, um, you know, trading up for one guy. Uh, now two teams have done that for the top two picks in the draft. And, and like during the season, I don't think you could have found anybody who would have said that a quarterback should go number one. Maybe you could find some people saying that about Jared Goff. Um, but suddenly now I don't it's know, looking there like are stretches of those cow games where he does not look like a first round quarterback. No. Uh, and Carson Wentz, over the course of not playing a single game over the last four months, went from, you know what, he's going to be a pretty good second or third round guy, I think, in the pros. Somebody's going to figure out what to do with him to maybe he's one of the top two picks in the draft. That's insane. It is absolutely yeah. insane. Anyway, so when uh, you know this quarterback's piece that's going to go up pretty soon, I was really curious, like, what's it going to tell me about golf and Wentz especially? Um, and... But is there, I mean, Bill, let me go 10,000 feet and interrupt a more intelligent thought, but we're not wrong on the college side of this too often. (laughs) When the the NFL makes a reach, especially a quarterback, and and people in the college side, media fans, you know, uh, head coaches, when when we kind of scratch our head collectively, we're usually right. Yeah. I know Ryan Tannehill is still the starting quarterback at, at, in Miami, but... He hasn't played like a top-ten pick. No. Um, I'm racking my brain at the moment. Johnny Manziel is an interesting one because, like, we yeah, all... Love- I'd almost throw him out as an outlier. I mean, unless you could tell me different. Because um, he think did most, fall. He, he did fall, and I think most of us... 
most of the college people talking about Manziel, it was basically with a giant asterisk, like, man, he's fun. He could be awesome. Or he could be, you know, exactly what he's turned into. Like, basically, it was a one big, if he matures, then, and he never matured. Sure. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe that counts against the college people. Maybe it doesn't. But I mean, we've essentially had more activity. And, and, and if this is naive or, or, or kind of a dumb moment, it's because we're college guys and we don't look at the draft quite the way that NFL fans do. But, we, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, we had more activity in terms of trades and, 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 and sacrifices in depth made ostensibly to move up to get a quarterback this year for North Dakota State's quarterback and a guy at Cal who was well, – I'm not even going to get into that. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz have garnered more – trade up and, and more sacrifices from franchises than Winston and Mariota. Yeah. So that's where I think college fans are kind of like, huh? Like, I understand it, it, it is the boomer bust nature of having a franchise quarterback, right? As bad as my Falcons suck on defense and as, and as poor as the depth has been managed at every major move in the draft since Matt Ryan, pretty much. Mm-hmm. terrible first-round busts, they still have a franchise quarterback. And so they're able to compete almost every year um, <laughs> until Kyle Shannon shows up. But they, having a quarterback is that important. It is so disproportionately uh, emphasized in, in the NFL game. I get all that. But still, some of the, like, you can't, you can't will that to happen. No, you can't make somebody something they're not. Like, I, you know, we all agree that quarterback is important, but the, what, what always cracks me up is the examples of that. So, yeah, you, you can't win unless you've got a Russell Wilson or a Tom Brady who were not picked in the top of the draft. <laughs> you know, take, you can't. Take the off-field away from Winston. I think people on the college side were emphatic about him last year and his potential. Same with Mariota, completely different system. Those make sense. You go back to the draft before that, Blake Bortles went third overall. It's yeah. just crazy. And I apparently he was most- decent this year. And but then, but the, the next quarterback taken was Manziel, yeah. which at the time, okay, again, super strange situation, outlier. And then the Vikings at thirty-two take Bridgewater. Yeah, at thirty-two, he and could that end was up a, being better. He could end up being the best quarterback in that draft by far. And, although Derek Carr, Derek, by the way, Derek Carr goes off at thirty-six. And, and by the way, that was another fun example. Like we might have been wrong. Like you can maybe count Manziel against the college guys. Um, but the college guys were also saying, are you freaking kidding me? You're not going to put Teddy Bridgewater in the top 15 because his hands aren't very big. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God, that was the dumb. I mean, in a season of dumb, that was the, um, I talked to uh, Brandon Allen's agent a couple weeks ago and you know, he was the, the, the whole hand massaging thing. Right. We were laughing about it. He was explaining the, the specifics of like how it happened and how often he did it. stuff. But then he was like, I mean, can't blame us for doing weird stuff like this. Look at the environment. And he's right. Yeah. Because yep. the, the distance between his pinky and thumb, if it grows a quarter inch, some guy in a notebook at some major franchise is going to give him like a bump up for that. I'm scrolling <sighs> backwards now through the draft. Um, so the first draft, so the first quarterback, this is a great example of what we're talking about. The first and only quarterback taken in the 2013 NFL draft. Can you name him, Bill? 2013. Yes, sir. Uh, really boring year. Eric Fisher, Luke Joke will go number one, number two. It was like a super line heavy draft. They were Eric all- Fisher, by the way, another one, uh, another overthinking all star. Um, but I know, I mean, I know McCarron was somewhere in there. I don't remember who was first though. EJ Manuel. 
Oh God, that's right. That was the EJ Manuel draft with the 16th pick to Buffalo, where where every single college football person went what <laughs> at the that's same time, I'm, and then that's what I'm talking about. Now we can probably scroll down and find a better. Uh, Geno Smith goes 39th to the Jets. Um, that was one injured, where the pro- so. the thinking actually kind of evened out. Like he was considered top pick for a long time, which made a lot of people nervous, and then it kind of overcorrected a little bit. Although he hasn't really turned out to be anything, I guess. You go back and look at a Tampa Bay franchise desperate for a quarterback, and the third quarterback to go off the board is in the third round, Mike Glennon from NC State. That would have been another one where college fans could have told you that that was a bad move. But for the third round, I don't necessarily. I mean, uh, at that point. Normally, start... yes. I, I'm not going to criticize third and fourth round draft picks at quarterback, but Mike Glennon. <laughs> Granted. Um, Actually, no, I, I take that back. Tyler Wilson went in the fourth round to Oakland. Come on, guys. What? What? Ryan Nassib went to the Giants with the fourth, with, with their fourth round pick. Take a freaking linebacker. This is where, um, so last, or a couple weeks ago now, when Sam Hinkie, the, the 76ers GM, was fired, he had that yeah. kind of semi-embarrassing letter that got publicized. Um, it, 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 was, it was a really interesting thing to read because it was, part, it was like three pages of really interesting insight and like nine pages of Jeff Bezos quotes. Um, and you had to fight through the kind of the, the annoying business school part to get to the interesting part. But one of the things he talked about in, the, in that book was one, something he believes in even stronger now than he did, I think, when at the start was to basically have kind of a decision journal. Like yeah. every single day, write down some of your major decisions and thought processes so that you can revisit them later. And anybody who's, well, I guess, uh, you know, the Eagles who just spent like, $25 million on Sam Bradford and Chase Daniel per year um, in a salary camp environment have now traded up supposedly to get Carson Wentz. Um, anybody involved with the Eagles, I understand that their management just changed a little bit. Go back to mid-January and look in your little decision journal and ask yourself what you thought about Carson Wentz in mid-January, the last time he had he had played a freaking game. And, because you, his numbers are fine. Like, not adjusting for opponent for a moment – you see that, you know, compared to the rest of this draft class, he's above average in height, above average in weight, um, put a decent 40 time on the board, 477. That was one of the better quarterback times, I believe. Um, perfectly decent uh, vertical, good in the three cone. So, you know, <laughs> if he has to convert to running back, he might be pretty good at it. Um, he didn't run very much, but when he did, he, he picked his spots very well. And, and, like, taking out sacks, he averaged over six yards per carry, which was – the highest Marquise Williams was six uh, yards per carry. That was the only other one over five, I believe. And again, that doesn't include sacks. So, I mean, he had some, he aced the combine. He, he chooses when to run very well. He also completed a below average percentage of his passes for a below average yards per completion. What do you think matters more? Um, and yeah, he, yes, he had, he had North Dakota state. He had FCS receivers. I get that. Um, but he also was going against FCS defenses. And nobody who watched that, we all, well, in our little environment, watched that North Dakota State-Montana game at the beginning of the year. Nobody watched that game and thought, man, that North Dakota State quarterback is going to be a first-round pick at the end of the or in next day. caliber. Well, I, I remember seeing that game and thinking, man, he's tall. Um, do you want to talk about Jake Locker? <laughs> no. So no. I, um, Locker, is, actually, you talk about Locker, and then I'm going to make a Hackenberg parallel. But go ahead. All right. Well, here's my hip shot analysis um, for the five minutes that I've been a, a quarterback drafting expert. <laughs> this is based, again, on the college vantage point. 
Personnel executives are scouts and GMs. They are charged with plugging holes, filling, finding talent as best they can. They got millions of dollars and they're going to use it. Okay, I get all that. And you need a freaking quarterback and like 10 teams have a quarterback that they want. I get all that. But unless you go for the consensus surefires, um, Cam Newton, number one overall, Andrew Luck, number one overall, um, I think Winston's going to be similar to that in, in a couple years. When you start that reach, like the third guy, and it's usually like after pick 10 and before the third round starts, you look like a dumbass. From You look like a dumbass to college people and right away. We think you're a dumbass right away. And then, like, three years later, your fan base and your boss thinks you're a dumbass. Blaine Gabbert, number 10 to the Jags in the first round. Two picks after Locker. Um, Christian Ponder, two picks after that to the Vikings. The 2011 draft is fantastic. Well, that, that's the one that produced the big cover of, you know, Newton, Locker, and Gabbert on the front, uh, you know, together on the front page. Who's number one? Andy Dalton um, to, uh, from TCU goes in the second round. The Bengals, he's, uh, what, other than Cam, the best quarterback in that entire draft. Um, that's a big other than. Uh, Kaepernick, not an outlier, but um, hmm, don't know yet. Um and then you yeah, scroll but, down. You find success with some of these guys in later rounds. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. It's and there are there are college guys that go late second to early fourth as quarterbacks, and we all say, "Oh, okay, okay." Now some of them are. I mean, as I said that, as I said that, I scroll down like that. Price is right wheel, and the, and the table stops at Ricky Stanzi, quarterback, Iowa, in the fifth round. So you know. Not always right, but well, of course you're not always. No one right, also but, remembers that the Chiefs drafted Ricky Stanzi because they did it with the 135th pick, right? Okay, and that's a, like that's the thing when you know people the, the overthinking process makes you think you know not only do we have to get a franchise quarterback, but we have to get one of the best quarterbacks in this this specific draft, and we have to do it at whatever cost. And what you end up is. What you end up with is a situation where Goff and Wentz cost a boatload of picks, and for Philadelphia, if they really do choose Wentz, if they don't come to their senses, uh, they're going to have three quarterbacks occupying like an absurd amount of their cap. Um, and you know maybe this means they're going to break out the Todd Berry two quarterback formation, but I doubt it. Um, for one thing, I don't think any of them are left handed. But um, but meanwhile, then you go you start looking at these stats, and again, this is pure stats. Um, eyeball test matters too. Um, if you look at, you know, when I post these radar charts, especially when you look at the chart for Kevin Hogan and Brandon Allen and Jeff Driscoll and, um, kind of even Nate Sudfeld from, from a pure stat standpoint, they're kind of equal to Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. That doesn't mean they're going to be as good as a pro, but in terms of value, if you can get one of those, I'm not real sure, you know, where that, you know, the, the eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th quarterback will go in a given draft but it's not gonna be on the first day uh and if the choice is to get like take a flyer on 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 kevin hogan or jeff driscoll in like the fourth round versus blow your future by giving away eight picks to get jared goff or carson wentz yeah wait if if because i feel like we're contradicting ourselves a little bit here if you're in a position to get that top consensus guy we're saying do it 
Right. Right. If like, if it's if it's a, a Winston, or, if it's an Andrew Luck. Okay. Well, uh, that was the example I was going to use. So let's say you and I are running a franchise, and we're 15 picks away from Andrew Luck that year, and we we package and move up, and we feel good about that because everybody feels good about that. Same, and right. and let's use the exact same example with Cam Newton going number one overall. Same deal. Okay. Right. We feel good about that, and in retrospect, we feel good about that because we know we're right. This is the year, though, where we the college guys are saying. Warning, warning, do not, do not. Yeah, do not spend a top two pick on a quarterback. Do not package and move up. What is the difference between those years? Because is it that we as a college community kind of looked around and said, mm, it's not really a quarterback in this draft, and, and the NFL is sort of willing willing a quarterback to be that's there? Exactly, that's exactly what it is. All right, yeah. we need a thesis statement. Um, yeah, because, I mean, like Andrew Luck, and, and by the way, the next pick was Robert Griffin, um, who a lot of people thought should go ahead of Luck. So even then, a lot of college people could talk themselves into to Griffin over Luck. I might I really, have. I don't, I don't remember. I really um, hate giving Bud Elliott this much credit. You scroll back over the last 10 years as I'm doing casually in our conversation, the <laughs> the, the sure big ugly misses, uh, sure things that turn into big ugly misses, like, like St. Louis taking Sam Bradford number one overall, guys who were not that familiar with pro systems. Now, that's changing. I want to put a bit big asterisk on that. A lot of things have changed since the 2010 draft in terms of And speed. Bradford and Griffin have both suffered like 18 knee injuries combined. Well, I think Bud usually goes down the path of like they haven't taken hits, blah, blah, blah. We won't, get, we won't do all that. Um, by the way, just it, where do we put Matt Stafford in all this? In, in college, I thought we, we were all pretty – kind of gave him the check mark, right? That was a long time ago. Uh, his completion rate was always bad. Um, and that was always going to be a red flag. I, I'm trying to quickly pull up his, uh, All right, his look, Bill, when you say, when you say, Hey, that was a long time ago. A normal person goes, yeah, it was. And then you follow it up with a stat off the top of your head. Well, I just remembered that. This is always, why you're a robot. I, okay. Well, I didn't say he completed 61.4% of his passes as he did when he, in his junior year. I just pulled it up. Uh, but I remember that was the sentiment was, man, he's got a huge arm, but ugh, still feeling, Still feeling really good about my whole college people are right. You should listen to them thing because if, I don't know if you remember that you talked about a long time ago. Sanchez declares for the draft Pete Carroll of all people. Pete Carroll, yeah. the only NFL coach I've inter- I've interviewed like five NFL coaches and I've only seen one smile ever on television or like in real life, or, and it's Pete Carroll, right? The most down to earth, the most anti NFL coach personality makeup <laughs> you can get. He said, "Hey, not a good idea. This kid needs to stay in college and develop." And everyone got on Pete Carroll's ass about like let the kid go make his money, like the normal SB Nation stance that we would take, players' rights and all that. Pete Carroll was right. Sanchez went fifth to the Jets. We all know what happened after that. That, that to me, that's another reinforcement, and because I, I think the college consensus was Sanchez coming off of a line of really good USC quarterbacks, surrounded by a lot of talent, good defense. Hmm. Don't know if he's the fifth best player in the draft right now. This is where, like, it's with, maybe not with other positions, because we do. We always see the two star guys getting in the top ten, and the five star guys bombing. It seems like if you were a five star quarterback, we always come back around to you. Uh, Mark Sanchez being a good example that was Chris uh, um, Jake Locker I don't think he was five star but he was four star and people convinced themselves when he was a freshman um, that he was he had every skill he was uh, the most well-rounded guy he should be a Heisman favorite etc etc he never produced uh, at least not at that level Uh, but we continued to talk ourselves into that and, and you know maybe that's you know, it rubbed off on the pro scouts too, but they saw the same thing. Like, man, he can run, he can throw really hard, he can do all these things. He ended up with a um, 
53 touchdown passes to 35 interceptions over three years. Um, or, well, three and a half because he got hurt that one year. Um, uh, I got more his fe- completion, by the way, his completion percentage for his career was 54%. Terrible. But he still got picked in the top 10 because of his, you know, be, because he passed the eyeball test and because people, I mean, same way with Blaine Gabbard. I obviously was hoping he would succeed. He's a Mizzou guy. Um, he showed that he can complete a pretty high percentage of passes um, for, you know, to TJ Moe and a tight end kind of camped out in the zone eight mile, eight yards away. Um, and his arm, I mean, I've still never seen somebody just flick a ri- their wrist and have the ball go about 70 yards in the air. Um, but any Missouri fan you asked would think, and I said this for football outsiders at the time, like he needs a system where he can redshirt basically sit for a year and, and get, you know, his pocket presence is terrible. Basically he's, he, he sees ghosts. He, he leaves the pocket before he needs to. Sometimes, uh, his pocket presence, his sense of his, uh, of the guys around him isn't very good and needs to improve. And if you can prove, improve that one thing, um, then you, you can maybe turn him into a really good prospect. So the Jags draft him uh, with a veteran who left, which or whatever, uh, on there, uh, on the roster. And when that happens, we think, yes, that's perfect. He can sit behind, I think it was left, which, uh, everything will be okay, and he'll be able to sit. And then they release Leftwich right before the season starts. He's starting by, like, game three. Uh, guess what? He sees ghosts. He scrambles. Um, he he uh, he bombs uh, because he we, we could very clearly pinpoint, here's the situation he needs to be in. Otherwise, don't take him 10th in the draft. He got taken 10th in the draft, got thrown into a, that exact bad situation, and guess what? He bombed. More assy quarterbacks from picks 15 to 50. I'm really <laughs> on to something here. Hashtag pro football focus Godfrey. Don't worry about their math. You just listen to me and the five minutes of advanced work that I do. More assy 15 to 50. Let's say 15 to 50 so that puts you like – and the reason – so this little area is, is the definition of the one or two maybe awesome guys that are NFL quality quarterbacks are off the board. We didn't get them. Let's make something exist where it does not and will not exist. Josh Freeman to the Bucks from Kansas State. Another right? eyeball test guy, yeah. That is pure assy flavorness, all right? at the seven, That's, by the way, first round, 17th overall. Pat White to the Dolphins from West Virginia. He was a little further down the board. I think you ask a college guy in whatever that was, 08 or whatever, uh, they would have all said, man, I hope he works out. Tim freaking Tebow. Yeah. In the 20, he's 26, I think, to the to the uh, Broncos. Yeah. I don't know how much of that was just Josh uh, Josh McDaniel's hubris or what, but same situation. We are now in the Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm, I'm back to the Matt Ryan draft. Um, Jake Long, Chris Long go off the board. The Matt Ryan goes third to the Falcons. The Falcons were ready to move up. Um, I know that if they thought Miami or St. Louis were interested, they were not. And then I'm looking at this blind live in real time. First off, let's find the next quarterback in that draft. So Ryan, first round, third overall. A spate of linemen go. So many linemen. Oh, yeah, that guy Joe Flacco. Here's the one. This All right, this one breaks. This one breaks the Godfrey theory. Hashtag PFF Godfrey. Uh, Joe Flacco goes 18th overall, right in the heart of that reach round uh, to Baltimore. Obviously. Well, now, a Super Bowl, right? They've only won one, right? No. With, with him? They beat the Niners. Right. Oh, I guess that's the only one they... Right. Yeah. Um, all right, another great example. Here you go. <laughs> you ready for this hotness? The Packers, second round. Now think about it. You could take... Okay, just like Martellus Bennett is on the board. 
right? Um, Charles Godfrey is on the board, right? Guys who end up having either like Pro Bowl or just like 10-year veteran reliable careers, like guys who could have added depth. Jacob Hester is on the board. Um, Hester didn't do much, but um, Earl Bennett, right? Earl Bennett's still playing. He's on the board, okay? Brian Brom at 56 and Chad Henney at 57. What college football fan in their right effing mind would have told you that year to waste a second-round draft pick on Brian Brom or Chad Henney? Um, yeah, Henney, no way. He was the game manager at, at Michigan. I'm pulling up Brom's stats because that, that might have been – yeah, he was the guy in 06 who pat- – yes, okay, so at least he had yards. I will say that in favor but of Brian I, but- Brom. I liked Braum at Louisville. He was fun to watch, and that was the Louisville team we talked about last week. Take him in the sixth or the uh, fifth, right? Well, I don't remember his like height and weight and whatever. He was four thousand yards and thirty touchdowns in in oh seven. I could at least I can see my because that's production. That's not hey he looks great in a uniform uh, right. and he can throw the ball a hundred miles an hour. He just can't control it. Like I could at least. I can justify talking yourself into a guy who is absurdly productive. I don't remember anything but, but about. If, but like, if that's all right, but but if that's the case, Bill, then couldn't we make an argument for every Texas Tech quarterback the last decade? I mean, again, I don't remember height and weight. It was was Brom like six three two hundred, or was he like six one one eighty five? Because I mean, that's this is exactly where we thought we'd be at the start of the show, grinding a podcast to a halt to find out how much Brian Brom weighs. <laughs> By the way, I think he's still no current. He's a current football coach. Does he work for his brother? I think he works for his brother. Uh, he finished his career in Winnipeg. Uh, his, his height is listed at six three, so he falls within the. He falls six three two twenty. Yeah, six three two twenty. Okay, so that, that I can Winnipeg, do. So that falls. he might have had he might have had a wet noodle for an arm. I don't remember. I don't remember anything about his combine performance in in two thousand eight. Two years um, in Green Bay. Two years in Buffalo. Uh, Las Vegas locomotives is that UFL or it's too late for XFL, so it must have been. It is the um, yeah, UFL United Football League that was out for like a hot minute, and then he finished his career in Canada. He is now, I really think he's working for his brother at Western Kentucky, and I should know this because this is my job. Yes, he's the QB, yeah, okay. It was just this year though, that's right. Okay. He came on the staff after Braun had some turnover. <laughs> He's the QB's coach. So he made some money. Kentucky. Oh no! I mean, the man's doing fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. What, so, second okay. round? So, uh, yes, that seems a little weird now. I, I don't remember what I was thinking at the time. So, all right. So now we're at about fifty. 50- Five minutes. I want to say one more thing about the draft because Christian Hackenberg hasn't been discussed enough yet. Uh, and then we're going to do a. Well, okay. I guess... So you and I, without planning it, are going on the same transition. So I'm pulling up right now wow. the list of, of, and it doesn't have to be Kuiper, but I'll just pull up the list of quarterbacks and let's let's each pick. Well, let's let's do what we're supposed to do and use uh, Dan Kadars from uh, SB Nation. Oh yeah, let's do that. Absolutely. Thanks for keeping me on brand there, buddy. That's right. I will Skype you a link as we continue to record a a podcast. So, so what we're going to do here, and I encourage I encourage everyone else to do the exact same thing. Find, uh, go to, was it Mocking the Draft? Uh, well, this piece is on, uh, it's under espionation.com slash NFL hyphen mock hyphen draft. Okay. Yeah. What I want everyone to do is to go in, find this, uh, find this, and then pick your holy shit five years from now guy okay do you have yours you mean good or bad no i mean the guy i mean the i mean chad henny question mark incredulous voice i want that guy 
that you think is going to be picked ridiculously high? Hackenberg. I, you know, for three years I've said Hackenberg for this draft because he hasn't <laughs> – I mean, he is he is Jake Locker the second in this regard, except more so. He was the five-star golden boy. He's 6'4", 228. He's – um, he was, when he committed to O'Brien at Penn state, he was going to be the number one pick in the 2016 draft. Um, like he was the sure thing. And he has yet to under two different coaches, by the way, uh, his freshman production was not what we like. We, we now want to say he was great as a freshman. And, and I think we've talked about this before. And then Franklin ruined him. Uh, that is not what happened. Franklin didn't make him an inaccurate passer. Um, and, and I just, there are so many checks against him. And it goes even like to the, when you combine, like Hackenberg's a good reason for doing these radars, uh, a very good reason for doing these radars because uh, these radars are supposed to combine the physical attributes with the stats. And he, he just barely grades out well on any category. Um, pulling up the radar I took like he's above average in height and weight he's not you know six seven here um but he's he's kind of like the prototype the the average six four two twenty five his 40 time was fine uh his three cone drill actually I included three cones for quarterbacks just for fun and it was fine um but basically he's pretty good at being tall and avoiding interceptions his completion rate was abysmal he his sack rate which you know we all know about you know all the things we've said about his offensive line his sack rate was abysmal he doesn't bring any mobility um any ability to create with his legs to the table he's all he's he can he's he's tall and he probably won't throw that many picks okay i was gonna pick him but i I do feel like a 1a there's a 1a and a 1b here Okay, I'm I think curious. Relative inexperience here would would I, I part of me wants to say Cardell, okay, because of what I think he'll be pushed into, and also because I think of the expectation that comes from coming from Ohio State and the fact that he just hasn't had that many snaps. But I'm going to go with Lynch. Okay, I'm going to go with Lynch, who was a project guy out of high school, okay, who is not physically gifted to move around the pocket. He's a really tall guy. I've stood next to him, and he's one of the few people who's taller than I am that I encounter. Um, he's a really tall guy. I mean, he's like I think he's got like two or three inches on me. Um, he has enjoyed success for a season and change. I don't know what his. Now, some of these are assumptions based off of this is just that this is the college gut that we're talking about. My college gut says, what has he done? coming from Memphis in the span in which Memphis was successful and highly effective, and they were, the best defense they beat up on, what, I guess had to be Ole Miss. He looked decent against a bad Auburn defense. I thought he looked pretty bad against a bad Auburn defense. That was, that's part of my, Wait, I'm trying on, to. Wait, that line there? Um, I'll pull it up, but yeah, this is the. Oh, wait, no, that um, was the game with all, yeah, okay, never mind, sorry, that was the game with yeah, all. Yeah, he was bad. Yeah. Um, and that was frustrating because, like, I'm the guy who says, you know, don't pay attention to bowls at all. It's ridiculous. You can't get anything from it. But uh, I, as I would we, pay attention in his court. I would pay attention in his case because he knew that the draft attention that was that was headed his way, and he had another shot at an SEC team. So I would pay attention in that case. So well, his, his line in that game: sixteen for thirty-seven for one hundred six yards, one pick, and two sacks. Terrible. Um, now here's what the draft clearly radar, was not little, the game that I was thinking of. Then, what was the other team they played? All right, Ole Miss. He torched Ole Miss. Oh, I know that. No, no, no. But it was there was an okay. Keep going. All right. So the, here's what the radar says about Paxton Lynch. Um, <laughs> very tall. Go figure. Because you need stats to tell you who's very tall. 
Um, size was dynamite. His his forty time and three cone drill uh, were very poor, but duh, he's huge. Uh, right. So you don't expect that from him. Um, he avoids uh, interceptions and sacks very well. Uh, he does not run. When he does, he do- gets decent mileage out of it, but he's not going to run very much. He can, comp- and, and here's something. Maybe this is a style thing that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, he complete his completion rate is strong. Auburn game aside, not very. He's not completing many of these passes deep. He's not his yards per completion. He's basically pay, taking the safe passes. So you can kind of combine these and, and you get a pretty – he's going to throw quickly. He's going to avoid mistakes for the most part. Basically everything that the Auburn game didn't tell you. Um, and, but he's not going to go out and average 14 yards per completion for a season or anything of that nature. He's just going to take the safe passes and he's going to throw them pretty hard. And maybe that's enough. Um, his but 2013 year was sort of the – I mean, kind of a scrub and, and transition in, but also they did not have any talent around them whatsoever. No, no, yeah, no. He's successful in 14. He's successful in 15. I'm trying to think in my head how this translates to Teddy Bridgewater, but I also thought Bridgewater's arm and his touch, Having I watched Bridgewater play in person, I think, three times. He was just no comparison to Lynch, who has a rocket, but I don't know if he necessarily has like a, uh, a, uh, a tracking device on that rocket. The, the defenses that Memphis faced in the last two years, I, I don't think it's comparable. Again, no problem with Paxton Lynch. Super yeah. nice guy, by the way. Interviewed. Very, very, very nice, very down-to-earth, cool guy. Take him in the fit. Yeah, uh, who was it? Matt Hinton yesterday on Twitter was saying, he noticed, I guess, the rumors are that the Saints are looking to trade up for him. Yeah, that, um, so, and, and that's where we get to a point where I take, take him in the fifth. Take him in the fourth. And then I, don't, I won't say anything to you. Yeah, I don't say but, anything if you draft a Brian Brom, a 6'3", 225-pound quarterback with crazy good stats and a great command in Bobby Petrino's system. Just don't take him that high. That's the, the, that's the whole point of this. So as the college guy, I'm saying Paxton Lynch, nice guy. Spend half the money on him and develop him slowly behind an established guy or just behind a guy that you're going to transition out. And the response there would be, well, I can't get him unless I overspend for him. Then don't get him. Yeah. And yeah, especially exactly. if you're the Saints. Exactly. That was – that was mind blowing. The Saints are going to do that. They're going to like. They're not going to have Drew Brees much longer. They're going to go ahead and get his replacement, but they're going to give away a bunch of picks, I assume, to to get him and assure that Drew Brees' last year or whatever is bad because they didn't have any picks to spend. Um, I, I I don't. Congrats, hey don't. Bill! Congratulations. This, this podcast we solved all the problems. That's right. We're you know everybody is dumb except us. Uh, by the way, the radar loves Jeff Driscoll, which might uh, prove the limitations huh. of the radar. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. Average height, average weight, best speed of any quarterback, I believe, in the combine. In, um, I think if you take Jeff Driscoll in the, in the late third, early fourth, I think you're doing something. Yeah, he's you know he's not going to run a lot, but when he does, it's it's good. He's he's more mobile than Lynch. But what's kind of cu- interesting about me, and this was you know this is all based on one year of data. If you're getting paid thousands of dollars to be a you know a, a team scout or whatever, you're looking at more than one year. Um, but his completion rate isn't great. It certainly, it sure as hell wasn't great at Florida either. But he, he it's kind of an interesting mix, like of um, you know he completed a lot of big plays at Louisiana Tech because they had a lot of speedy receivers. They had Kenneth Dixon too, um, but he also avoided sacks and picks pretty well. So that's kind of an interesting combination. Just if you point can... out, uh, just want to point out, Saints burned a third round pick last year on Garrett Grayson from Colorado State. Really? You can do that again. Go right ahead. <sighs> Go right ahead. Yeah, this is basically, by the way, this is proof that, you know, I can tell you everything that, that won't work. I cannot tell you what will. 
that, that's kind of that's what's easy about our well, job right I, now. I don't want to beat a drum, but I think that's what we're all saying. And I think people who listen this far into a show like this with, with, with this kind of mantra would agree. We don't look. No one knows the, the Brady thing. Everyone wants to throw in everyone's face. It's okay. No one can has a a barometer on success. But I think I think there's a lot of just pretty simple common knowledge out there. If you watch it, if you absorb as much college as we do. To at least not go down a few roads, and, and this is the one more than any any. Other, you know, I, I can't tell you about offensive linemen, and I do this. You know, I do college football for a living. I, I can't get into it because it's it's so specified, and it's there's so much information that we don't get about certain positions, and you have to kind of coach the game and play the game to know. But quarterbacks, everybody, it's a, it's a position everyone's watching. It, it this this part fascinates the hell out of me. Because these, these educated people, these million-dollar executives, year after year gamble with these big-ass contracts on, on, these, on these guys where it just happens all the time. There used to be, when the draft was on Saturdays and I was in college, and this happened when, when I was out of college because I was still, I was in Oxford beat writing Ole Miss, there used to be this outdoor festival that has a point. Um, it was like an outdoor <laughs> music festival. They shut down the Oxford Square. It's like a mini little kind of Mardi Gras type feel. And the draft would always be the same Saturday, so all the bars would have the draft on. Everybody was out drinking. This happened when Eli Manning got drafted. Um, and inevitably, I just I have this distinct memory. It's called the Double Decker Festival. Every year, we, you'd come into a bar while a band was playing outside to like refill your beer, and someone would say, can you believe X just got drafted? Because in a world like Oxford, and the whole the, the axis, you know, X and Y is, is college football. That's the revolution. That's the sun and the moon. So, I mean, as a great example, more than half of North Mississippi became Giants Giants fans when Eli Manning got drafted. They don't give a shit about the Saints. They give a shit about Ole Miss. So, in communities like that, in Tuscaloosa and in Oxford and Athens and Knoxville, et cetera, we see this happening year after year and we can't help but laugh. And I just don't understand how that doesn't translate. Because we're right a lot. That Joe Flacco thing is, is the only outlier I can find. And it took me 10 minutes to do that. And, and so it'll be Christian Hackenberg and or Paxton Lynch going between 15 and 35. Book it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Lynch might even go higher than that. Yeah, I, I saw Hackenberg this morning. Suddenly, you know, he's starting to maybe creep back into the first round. Don't. Don't do it. This is why this is why the draft should be the week after the Super Bowl. The longer this goes, the more people talk themselves into crazy things uh, that aren't going to work. Um, and really, I think if you, if you have your choice between Cardell Jones and Dak Prescott, pick Dak. I don't. I don't know if he'll succeed, but I'm. 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 I'm terrified. I love Cardale. I. I. He. <laughs> he. I, I didn't need a radar to tell me like the combination of inaccuracy and taking a bunch of sacks and picks is is kind of scary. Um. I hope. I, I hope I'm wrong because I like him a lot. But he. I don't think we're gonna do the. Um, uh, we've run out of time because the whole yeah. segment, the, the main segment of this show, was going to be something we've been teasing for a couple of weeks, and we're teasing it because one, we had outside help by someone who's more clever than we are, and. Two over the weeks, that person. We'll, 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 I tell you what, it's going to be a valley next week unless we recap how smart we are about the draft. Um, 
provided no one gets shot or Eastern Michigan don't get shot, um, we'll come back next week and do a solid box score bingo because it's it's probably going to be the most fun interactive show that we've done today. I'm pretty I'm actually pretty excited about it because again, yeah. intelligent people outside of us are helping us. Put yeah, on our it. friend our friend Ross uh, helped us out with a couple of really good examples. This is what Godfrey we, we we talked about this a few weeks ago now where where Godfrey basically where we it's it's an education in how to look at a box score or how yeah. we might how one might look at a box score and it Which should was the be first a lot conversation of fun. that you and I ever had for your book was how are people parsing through those box scores and so we're going to take it full circle I promise we'll get to it next week unless I'm unless I go from kind of right to really right and I'm going to tell you all about it uh, when Paxton Lynch goes 14 so other than that um, I think we'll have a clear slate for next week we, we are going to do box score bingo thank you for hanging on with us um, again I, I feel very confident that if you're our kind of listener at this kind of um, timestamp inside of a podcast like this, you are just nodding your head in agreement. And if we missed a completely craptacular pick from the late first, early second round at quarterback, uh, fill us in. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm sure there was plenty I glossed over. <laughs> I do like, by the way, we keep talking about the Valley. Um, we thought we, we said the Valley was going to be in February. We are almost to May, and we've only... Uh, we haven't really run out of topics yet, so we're doing well. And again, probably not next week. We will have guests. We we will one day have guests, and it'll be glorious. If you want to make a request on guests, hit us up. Um, we are. Um, I know I say we're always in the valley. We're really in the valley in June. It's going to be quiet. I know I'll be taking a little bit of vacation. I think Bill will as well. What? Uh, what? <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> and uh, before we get into, we are going to have a ton of guests, and I do mean a ton by virtue of the fact that. Uh, between Bill and myself, we'll be hitting at least three or four of the media day events. So there will be plenty of folks hopping on here. Uh, thank you for support in the quiet period. Uh, and we're also going to have like a theme song and an intro eventually. Um, eventually. But, but look, when all that cool shit happens, you can be the guy who found the band first if you're listening right now. And we, or, or gal, sorry, gender, gender neutral. Um, uh, we appreciate you being the cool, the cool guy or gal now. And we could have done all the, the theme song stuff in January like planned, but then think about how long that off season would have been afterwards. Now we're going to get it, and it's going to be, wow, brand new, awesome, yeah. and then the season's going to start. And we are kind of, yeah. I mean, there is kind of like a legit effort underway by our employers to um, <laughs> class up the podcast into the company. So we'll see what we can do for you. Um, until then, though, until next week when I'm, when I'm super right, hopefully mega right, um, enjoy your NFL draft, Bill. I'm not gonna watch one second of it. I'm gonna re- I'm gonna read about it online. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have it open on my computer while I watch the Hawks playoff game. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys.